0: Thanks, Matt, for keeping on, continuing to let me speak, and i <laughs> continue to enjoy the, the privilege, and um, I often say, Matt, how much I appreciate you, and uh, I don't know, it's just a, there's not a lot of pastors that would enjoy sharing their space, and um, I just don't sense any sense, any spirit of competition, which sometimes sneaks into ministry and stuff like that, so that's cool, just... There's so many good things about the spirit of this church. And, uh, I appreciate them all. So um, I'm up to my old tricks again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak uh, two different sermons. Um, just because there was one that uh, I preached it a long time ago. And um, the sound guy didn't record it. And it's always kind of bugged me. And in uh, Bible study this week, it came up. Uh, somebody mentioned something about that topic. And I just, like, it came out. And it was really helpful to somebody, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to throw that one in there, even though it's not the topic that I had planned to uh, speak on. So you guys get the special sermon, and then the next one will get the one that's actually on the passage for today. If I can find it in my notes, where is, oh, there it is. (laughs) I hope so, I hope so. So the, the question is, why worship? And uh, I haven't seen our doctrinal statement for this church, but they all kind of read pretty similar. And usually, the 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 reason for everything is worship. Usually, uh, we exist to worship and glorify God is somewhere in this in the statement that worship is the most important thing about what we do. Um, this is very typical. Is that true? Is that somewhere in our doctrinal statement, of Anic? <laughs> We don't have a traditional <laughs> yes. We should get on that. <laughs> <laughs> got, got one point already figured out here. So, um, but, but what is worship? I mean, is it we exist to sing songs? Like, obviously, worship is more than singing songs, right? Um, but what, what is worship? And then uh, there's all sorts of other issues, other questions, such as uh, how can a humble God, so Jesus is gentle and humble in spirit, and yet he invites people to worship him. So how, how can somebody be humble and then be like, hey, worship me? Um, how can God really be loving if his ultimate end is his own glory? So in the Old Testament, God saves Israel multiple times, and he says it was for my name's sake that I saved you. It's like um, you know Robin Hood galloping into uh, what is it uh, the palace, not Nottingham Palace, yeah. and saving Maid Marian and running out and saying it's just for my glory, you know, <laughs> and that would kind of take the take the joy out of it if if Robin Hood saved Maid Marian just for his glory and not for for the good of of his uh, of his bride. Um, and how can failing to worship God be considered a sin? Because ultimately the, the greatest um, virtue is worshipping God and the greatest sin is idolatry or not worshipping God, turning away from God. So all these kind of questions were just kind of rumbling around in my mind and it kind of seemed like a big deal because as I said, worship is the most important thing, but we don't really know what it is or or there's a, these issues that kind of I was struggling with. And I there's a quote by David Hume that I saw it and then I couldn't find it online um, when I wanted it. I found it when I didn't need it. But it was something about uh, how, can, how can we worship a God that is so self-centered and so, so vain and, and frail to need worship, to need people to care about him and to uh, pay him mind. So um, the first thing I want to, so this is going to be kind of an intellectual sermon and we're going to try and deal with this thing of worship. What, what does it mean and how do we deal with it? So the first thing, um, just because I um, just, just taught this recently, talking about uh, any time that you speak about should God do something, should we do something, is it good that we do something, is it bad that we do something, and we use this language all the time. Atheists use it, Christians use it, all different religions talk about is it good that we do this, is it bad that we do this, and even when we're critiquing God, it, you know, atheists or whatever might be critiquing God, it's bad that God is doing this that doesn't make sense unless there's some sort of a moral standard. And we all agree, we might not agree what what right and wrong are, but we agree that there is such a thing as right and wrong. Otherwise, we would say, I don't prefer that God does this. I don't prefer that God demands worship. I don't prefer, but that's not what we're saying. We're not saying this isn't my preference. We're saying it's wrong. It's it's actually wrong in some sort of an unchanging, absolute sense. Um, And what this means is that there must be some sort of an objective, unchanging right and wrong. And so there's two options, either, either that is in God, either God is the center and the ground of right and wrong, or else it's somehow separate from God, and in, the, in our apologetic class we talked about how it's not really possible to have some sense of right and wrong, absolute morality, the moral law, apart from God, there's just nothing else that really grounds that. And so ultimately if we're talking about right and wrong, we're in a passive sort of way admitting that God exists. And we're saying there must be some sort of a lawgiver for the law that's written in our hearts. So this question, should God do this, should God do that, in a sense, is pushing us to say God must exist. There must be this moral law, which in the moral law proves God. So that's kind of a a quick fly-through of the moral argument, if you want more. I mean, the first half of C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, he kind of lays it out. Makes a lot more sense when you don't just fly over it so quick. But... That gives us a little bit of a foundation for if there's a right and wrong, there must be a God. And we're working in a universe where there is such a thing as right and wrong as we continue with the discussion. So now we get into talking about what is worship. So the first principle that you need to know is that everybody is a worshiper. Everybody is a worshiper all the time. You can't not be a worshiper in the sense that the Bible speaks about it. Um, and this isn't a thorough list, but worship includes at least Adoration adoring something saying this is precious this is awesome this is beautiful so, so what are some of the things that we get really excited about in our culture and, and and we're like this is awesome we adore something what are some examples you can think of? A great goal A great goal. In hockey. In ho- oh and in hockey okay. <laughs> no seriously people are on their feet. Yeah yes, and, yeah sports events football. Yeah. 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 Football, yeah. Yeah. yeah football right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sporting events or, or players or celebrities or, uh, you know, I, I enjoy my Mac products and, and it's you, the there, there's an adoration around, you know, the, the latest iPhone or, or Apple Watch or whatever. We lift things high. We can't help it. And humanity, like worship brings out the best in us and the worst in us sometimes. But we adore things. We lift things up. And in, in, in lifting things up, cultures get lifted up. Um, and, and it brings out the best in us. As well, sacrifice. So what are some of the things that, that people sacrifice for? Lay down their lives for. Families. Families. Politics. Politics. <laughs> yeah. We, we give ourselves. We, we pour ourselves out. We, we go without sleep. We, we sometimes even go without food. We... We, we go without having fun, you know, and we, we push through and we, we say, this is, this is my goal, this is my thing that is so important to me. And, you know, it, oh, it seems like, it's, especially on Facebook, there's a lot of social agendas. And people are just like, this is my social agenda. And boom, and they ramrod through relationships, they ramrod through, you know, I don't know where they find the time for all the stuff they post. And, and, but we sacrifice for things, right? We adore things and we sacrifice for things. And we proclaim things. I guess that's kind of Facebook too. There's things that we're just like, go Apple, you know, it's the most amazing thing in the world. Or, you know, my sports team or my political party, you know. And these three things, adoration, sacrifice, and proclamation, that's worship. And it's natural for us. We do it all the time. And if, if somebody isn't really adoring, sacrificing, proclaiming something, for one thing, I would tend to say that they're not really living for anything. It's just kind of this, this like, what, what's the point of your life? I just kind of get this mental picture of somebody, you know, on the couch in his mother's basement playing video games. <laughs> and yet, in that case, I kind of wonder if they're worshipping themselves, you know, and, and adoring themselves and sacrificing other things for themselves and proclaiming their own goodness and, and worth. So first point is everybody worships all the time. If, like uh, Bob Dylan said in his famous song, "You gotta serve somebody." Might be the devil, might be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. Um, yeah, so I have a list here. We got to most of them. So the choice is not: should I worship or should I not worship? The worship. The, the question is: should I worship God or should I worship idols? Should I worship the Almighty that created me, who is the ultimate good, who is the center and source of all um, morality, and and is the greatest good that could be conceived? Or do I worship created things? As it says in Romans 1, should we turn from the creator to the creation? Um, and obviously, God is the one that can fulfill things. He, when we worship God, we, we lift ourselves up in worship. When we worship idols, we lower ourselves in worship. Somebody famous one time said, which is always a great way to parents, the site, a quote, but uh, a society can rise no higher than its gods. And as you look through history, that's it's basically true. I mean, a lot of societies in history have had very low, you know, uh, despicable sorts of gods, and they didn't rise very high as a society because who's your moral standard is, you know, Zeus, who's sleeping around with everybody and who's capricious and who's angry. And... Um, your society can't rise much higher than that because you're worshiping this, you're going to end up emulating that. And yet when we worship God, God lifts us up and we are lifted up in the worship of God. Um, getting a little bit out of... Okay, I wrote these in order for a reason. So um, everyone is a worshiper. The choice is to worship God or to worship idols. And the third point is that We all worship for self-interest. And this is where somebody was was asking a question in the Bible study. We get into this, this dilemma sometimes. If I love somebody, I feel good about it usually. And so is it really love if I'm receiving something? And this is especially, it seems like teenagers kind of get all confused with this and then start psychoanalyzing themselves did i really love somebody selflessly or was there a little bit of self in there and it's just like whatever don't worry about it um but this the the dilemma here is a false impression that the only way you can love somebody true love is completely selfless and that's simply not true true love is always going to have some amount of reciprocity because and that's just normal that that You're supposed to feel good about doing the right thing. You're supposed to feel good about loving people. Even Jesus went to the cross, what does it say in Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him. So the cross was difficult. It was obviously painful and and a tremendous loss for him. And yet for the joy set before him, he he, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Uh, And Blaise Pascal said... All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. So our will, our decision-making only goes towards pleasure or, um, or happiness or what we think will make us happy. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Even suicide is an attempt to end the pain, enter into a better reality, or something like that. So this is why we can get really caught up in this whole thing. Like, if I love somebody, is it, you know, try and do it completely selflessly. You can't do something if you don't believe that it'll make you happy. That's just how, how we're wired to work. So all people worship all the time. We worship either God or idols, and we worship for self-interest because we believe it will make us happy. And that's not a bad thing. That's only normal. But point number four is that only God delivers. Um, it's, uh should have written that verse down, but God says, In my hand are endless delights. With God is delight. God is the source of all good things. Uh, in James, it says... Uh, do not be deceived, brethren, um, for every good thing and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shifting of shadows. God is the one that can give good things. These idols, that, these other things that we worship, do not give good things. In John 10, 10 uh, it says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life, and life more abundantly. And so often we get this impression that God has come to give us less life, less abundantly, and to take away our joy. And that's not the case. It's not the case. God has come to give us an abundant life, full of joy, full of pleasure. Now, as I say that, God's come to give us pleasure, you think, A, that doesn't seem accurate to, to our experience, and B, that doesn't seem very holy or very sanctified. I think it doesn't seem accurate to our experience because uh, Satan wants to give us pleasure right away, instant gratification. And you know, when I was going through high school, everybody was, you know, sleeping around, doing drugs, seemed like they were having an awful lot more fun than I was. And honestly, they probably were having a lot more fun than I am, than I was. But I look at my friends now, and this is not, I don't mean to exude a spirit of judgment at all for this. But this is speaking about God's path or Satan's path. And a lot of people that were having the most fun then are having the least fun now. Um, In all the different senses. I mean, um, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. And so that's the first answer to that. God wants to give us a good life full of pleasure. And there's good things that he wants to give us. And most of the commandments that are written down in the scriptures, you can read them as like God is angry and he wants to control us. And and it's an invitation. It's not like that at all. It's an invitation to a full life filled with good things. And being married and and having a stable life and pursuing, you know, a balanced life, getting an education is such a better path than, um, you know, the other paths that are available to us that are very short-lived. Ultimately, when we turn from God, we turn to um, something less, th- something that will give us less uh, in this life and the one to come. Um, in Jeremiah two thirteen, I forgot my Bible at home, so I grabbed one off the back, and I'm getting lost here in Esdras and Tobit, and this <laughs> so is not what I'm used to. I've got you the Want to read it? Yeah, go ahead and read it for me. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2:13 My people have committed two sins they have forsaken me for the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water Yeah So in, in a dry and arid land first of all cisterns were a huge technological advance that enabled them to, to their population to grow because they had rain only a certain part of the year and they had they had hills and so they were able to channel the water into a pit, line the pit with clay, and then they would have water, you know, the cistern would fill up and they would have water for more of the year so they could live in places that they didn't have to just live next to a river. So cisterns were very important for them, but a cistern does not compare to a spring of living water. Living water means there's actually a, there's a river, underground river. So the water is always fresh. And you don't worry about parasites, you don't worry about bacteria buildup, you don't worry about E. coli you know, spring of living water. You don't worry about droughts. You don't worry. It's a spring of living water. And if you can, I mean, if you, how many have actually drunk nasty water? Because you had to. You know, you were really thirsty. Um, I praise God. After seven months in Africa, I never had to drink nasty water to survive. We always left home with a a water jug. And and to this day, I always leave home with water. It's just kind of become a habit. Um, But, I have drunk nasty water before on canoe trips and um, this one time I filled up my water bottle in a little beaver pond uh, because that's where we were camped and uh, we, had, we put iodine drops in it so it was all good but um, the next morning I was trying to figure out what these jelly things were in my water and I got about halfway through the day and I realized I'm pretty sure these are leeches eggs that <laughs> I'm drinking <laughs> in the water. Um, so water is important. Good water is important no matter where you are. And we take it for granted, but it's, it's important. Um, and why would you turn from a, a source of living water to a broken cistern that doesn't, that doesn't produce water or that has really nasty, muddy E. coli death in it? Um, only God produces, uh, gives us life. He gives us pleasure. And um, is this spiritual? Is it spiritual for us to pursue pleasure? and to say, I want to be happy, I want a good life. Uh, John Piper has uh, developed a theory called Christian Hedonism. Hedonism is the belief that pleasure is the greatest good. And he said, we need to be Christian hedonists to say pleasure is the greatest good, but it's pleasure in God that is the greatest good. Not pleasure in sex, not pleasure in drink, not pleasure in, in earthly temporal things, but pleasure in God. And there is no greater good than delighting in God. When we delight in God, we make Him look good. When we delight in God, we lift His name up. When we delight in God, we demonstrate with our lives that He is the greatest possible good that, can, that we can find anywhere in our lives. And there is no, you know, for every other pleasure, it needs to be in its place, right? Nice to have a little drink now and then, but not too much. It's nice to have a little bit of food sometimes, but not too much. It's nice to have a little bit of rest, but not too much. Um, it, whatever any pleasure there's always a limit and past that it becomes a sin or, or a vice there is no limit for how much we can love God there is no limit to the amount of pleasure we can receive from communion with God in fact this is what we were created for and it is a sin to turn away from God to other things um, the, the, the purpose of our lives is to love God and to be loved by Him and to be in a communion with Him Um, When I was in seminary, my seminary professor was very enthralled by a theologian named Karl Barth, and I've come to not appreciate a lot of Karl Barth, but one thing that uh, Karl Barth said that I did appreciate was that um, the the first man was not Adam. It was Jesus. And there's a verse that says that that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Jesus is made in the image of God, and Adam is made in the image of Jesus. So this is a theological distinction he makes. And then he says, what is the essence of humanity? Because often we say, to, to err is human. And so we say sin is the f- most fundamental part of what it means to be human in that sentence. To err is human. Um, although it's true that we're all sinners, what he does in saying that Jesus is the first man is to say, Jesus worships God. Jesus worships God. The most fundamental thing, the core sense of what it means to be human is to worship God. And it's true, yes, that image is broken. It's true that we're fallen. But that's not the true us. The true us is worshiping God. And when we worship God, we enter into the state that we were made to be in. And we taste of, of, of heaven, really. And the intimacy that we should have, that, that we were born to have with God. And we enter into our true selves. And yes, there's always going to be a fight with sin. There's going, to be a, there's going to be tension. And we worship for a while, and then we just get so tired. You ever get that? Like you have really great worship times, and then you just get tired. And I said to a friend one time, I think heaven is going to be where we worship, and we don't get tired. Um, because it's not going to be a fight with our, our sinful nature and everything. So the big pushback, if you, if you really start to live this and, and think about it, and, and try and apply it, you'll, you'll start... Questioning everything and, and start asking, well, hold on a second, um, isn't everything idolatry? I mean, we mentioned family. Family is important, right? So, if I'm lifting up my family, if I'm adoring my family, if I'm sacrificing for my family, is that idolatry? How do I know if it's idolatry, if it's worship? Um, and this is a really difficult question that, that that comes along with this. And so, I think there's two ways of telling. It's, for one thing, it's very difficult to know. If you're idolatrizing, if you're worshipping an idol or if you're worshipping God. And that's something you just need to, as David said, search my heart, O God, and see if there's any untrue way in me. And this is something that you just need to wrestle with personally and not judge other people because other people, they might have, you know, section a huge amount of their life off for, for a sport or for a hobby. And that for them might be totally holy and, and, and good. But for you, it would be wrong. And, and it's, it's hard to uh, judge the, the leisure lives of other people. Um... But I think that normal life becomes idolatry, one, obviously, when we we give the primary seat to God. Have you guys seen that that old picture of the lordship of Christ, you know, where where Jesus is on his throne and all of life is organized around him? You haven't seen this. Um, Okay, well, we don't need that. Um, God needs to be on his throne, right? And how we know God is on his throne is when something else competes with that. And that's how, I mean, the story that comes to mind right away is Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. God said, take the most precious thing you have and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham said, okay. And at the last moment, God stopped him and said, no, don't do that. Now I know that your heart is completely for me. And sometimes God will put us through these things and say, what is your priority? And eventually we need to decide what our priorities are. Um, and even our kids need to be under the lordship of Christ, and we decide that God's mission is more important than, well, obedience to God is the, is the most fundamental thing. Following on the heels of that, I think that um, a well-ordered life, a disordered life is a sign of idolatry. We can be polytheists. We can, you know, the, the Israelites, they worship God, but they also had their high places. And sometimes, yes, God is on the throne of our hearts, but something else is out of place. And this is where it it gets difficult to discern exactly what's going on. But, you know, if if your family is here and, and you have been appointed by God to take care of your family, and work is going over top of that, even if it's ministry work is going over top of your family, that shows that there's an idolatry issue. That you're you're worshiping and adoring your yourself, your your accomplishments, your your ministry, or whatever, higher than your family. So that's an idolatry issue. That's a worship issue. And so I think just a well-ordered life where you know you get to sleep on time, you have your sabbaths, you have your time to play with your kids, you pursue, you know, you provide. Um, I think this is a, another sign of just worshiping God. in a life that's out of order where hobbies or um, or work, or whatever, take precedence over family and important things. I think that's another sign of idolatry. So, to summarize, everyone is a worshiper. The choice is between God or idols. We worship for self-interest, and this is not a bad thing. We worship because we want to be happy. But only God delivers. God brings life, and idols bring death. And so we can go back to the first couple questions that we asked. Is it right... Uh, for God to do this. First of all, we just said, uh, if we're asking the question, is it right, that demonstrates there is an absolute standard of right and wrong. It demonstrates that God is on his throne. Um, how can be, Jesus be humble and yet receive worship? Romans uh, 12, 3 says, let no man think more highly of himself than he ought, but think so as to have sound judgment. So pride is, is looking at yourself and having a distorted view of yourself. And you can actually have reverse pride Uh, As well as, you know, normal pride, so to speak. Um, Moses had this very low view of himself when God was trying to call him. And he was like, oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. And God got angry at him. He's like, no, you can. I've equipped you to go and do. Um, But humility is looking at yourself, knowing your skills, and saying, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. With God's help. um, Or this is who I am with God's calling. And Jesus knew he was God. And so it wasn't inappropriate for him to receive worship. In fact, it would have been impro- inappropriate for him not to receive worship because, as God. Is God really loving if his, only, if his ultimate end is his own glory? So God too worships. God too adores. God too elevates. And God too uh, sacrifices, lays himself down. So he could hypothetically, not really because God can't sin, but hypothetically, he could worship himself, or he could worship something else. If he worships anything else, it's going to be an idol. That would make God an idolater. Therefore, God has to worship himself, because there's no greater thing to worship than his own glory. This is why God says, I have saved you for my name's sake. He leads me in, uh, by still waters for his name's sake. And this, when you grasp this, you understand how beautiful this is. When your self-interest becomes a matter of God's glory, that is a sacred thing. That is a beautiful thing. And that is so tremendous that we have been drawn into that. That our goodness, God, in uh, Romans 8, uh, is it 28? Uh, it says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him who are called according to His purpose. Why? For our sake? No, it's for His sake. Because He has called us... He is not ashamed to call us his children. He has called us Christians. And so our glory is his business. Our well-being is his business. And he makes it his business to make his glory known. And we get called up in this. And this is so much more powerful than saying, God loves me, therefore he's going to do good things for me. Because that's, as though that's the only end. I mean, God does love us and do good things for us because, just because he loves us. But being caught up into his glory is so much more powerful and beautiful than that. Um, and how could it be a sin to not worship God? Ultimately, th- there's a double-sidedness to sin. Sin is a natural consequence, and sin is an act of judgment. As laid out in Romans 1, that God turns people over to their sin. And turning away from God, it's, it's as though, I mean, just think about there's a spring here. It's living water, that, and, and we're, we're thirsty. And we look at this spring and say, no, no. I I don't want to drink that. I'm going to go over here and drink some E. coli water. I mean, the spring could speak to us. Don't do it. You're going to die. Or it could, you know, get all high and mighty and say, I decree that you will die (laughs) because you have turned from me. Actively or passively, you know, the result is the same. We're going to die. Um, And that's the consequence of not worshiping God, turning away to other idols, is we will die because we were made for God. Augustine said, uh, we were made for God and our hearts are restless until we rest in him. And so um, I'd just like us to, maybe just a bit, I guess we're gonna close in prayer. So let's just take a little bit of time and just orient our hearts towards worshiping God and resting in him. O God, as the deer deer pants for the water, so our souls pant for you, O Lord. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, our soul thirsts for you, for you alone, O God. O taste and see that the Lord is good. How good you are, O Lord. We just thank you for your goodness to us and for creating desires in us that nobody else could fulfill so that we seek you and find you. And I just pray, Lord, that um, this satisfaction that we have will become contagious, and that people will begin to ask us for an answer to the hope that we have in us, and that you will enable us to share that hope with others. In Jesus' name, amen.